0: So I had some incredible support people. I had some incredible friends that showed up every day, Jamie. I had friends that were weaning my baby, taking my kids to preschool, bringing meals. Those people were such an integral part of my recovery because I was at that point. I don't even remember how old I was, but my mom didn't live in this province. So my mom didn't come to take care of us. But my incredible friends and my brother-in-law, they showed up and they came every day. I'm Jamie
1: Mo' Crazy, and you're listening to Life Deaths Mo' Crazy, where we'll hear from people who either been through a trauma or helped someone else through Listen and learn strategies you can implement in your life. So when a metaphorical avalanche you down the mountain of life, you can climb an alternative peak with the best view. I am here today with Julie Kennedy Smith, who is living life to the fullest when her life became a bit mo' crazy, and she had a horrible fall snowboarding with her husband. Upon arrival to the hospital, Julia's husband, Ben, was told by a social worker that he needed to prepare to tell their children that their mother would not survive. Yet she did. Julie had to teach herself to walk, write, and live while being scared and confused. She made the choice to start to climb an alternative peak. 16 years later, Julie still lives each day to the fullest. She lives in Whistler, British Columbia, one of my favorite places in the world, with her husband and four kids, Journey, Irie, Truth, and Oak, where she loves to spend time in the mountains with her family and friends, and she's a doula, prenatal educator, and also believes in the power of sharing her story to inspire others to hope and dream when life seems dark and hopeless. So when you're climbing up that mountain of life and you get caught in a metaphorical avalanche that slides you down to the bottom, she shares her story so you can make the choice to climb an alternative peak and live a life you love. Because she's known to say that her TBI journey has been her greatest gift and teacher. And she uses humus and rawness to connect with her journey. So Julie is here today, and I'm so excited to talk to her.
0: (laughs) Thanks, Jamie. I'm excited to
1: be here. Yeah. And and like I I started off by saying, I love Whistler, British Columbia, because that's where my accident was. And I am lucky because I get to go back every year as a memory, an anniversary, except this year and last year, With COVID-19, we can't cross the borders.
0: No. Uh, I know. It's such a, it's an absolute bummer, isn't it? It,
1: It's such a bummer. And so last year with, so April 11th is my injury day. Okay. And it's also my partner's birthday. His birthday is the same exact day. Yes. So we, we go back, we celebrate both of them.
0: Yes, you celebrate basically your rebirth and he celebrates the day of his birth.
1: Exactly. <laughs> and so last year we were planning on going and COVID hit. We, we couldn't go across the border. Um, and my nephew had lice and so we caught oh. lice. So oh, last oh. year, our anniversary birthday was <laughs> celebrating by ourselves in Salt Lake City with no friends and lice
0: and lice and no COVID. Honestly, as a mother of four kids, Jamie, I have to say, uh, I might choose COVID over lice. I think it's the worst thing (laughs) ever to have to pick through. And anyways,
1: it was, it was pretty bad. So this, (laughs) this year I'm bringing, I'm planning on and organizing, my boyfriend and I are going to go heli skiing. Oh, good! To celebrate it, and we were actually planning on going to Whistler, but since that's not going to happen, it's no sounding pretty unrealistic to plan for it. Yes, we. I decided because the whole Mo Crazy concept is if things in your mind don't go exactly as you plan them in your mind. Yes, think creatively and yes. find a way to still deliver the outcome you want, which is heli skiing, just in a different venue. So Utah.
0: Oh good you're still going to go. I'm so I'm so happy you're doing that because it's important. I think especially during this time we're losing we're kind of starting to lose track as it's, you know, lingering on. I think we're losing track of celebrations and you know, we're being told don't gather, don't do this, but exactly like you said, we need to kind of redefine what that looks like. I'm so happy you're still going.
1: Thank you. And I think that celebration is a really good thing to touch on because it has to do with when both of us had our, our brain injuries and during the recovery process, and then with t- it ties into COVID, what's happening right now, people forget to celebrate the little wins and the little successes in their life.
0: 100%. I mean, that's the whole, for me, that's, as you can relate, That's why I enjoy so much talking to people who've actually experienced. And what I share with people is when I talk to other TBI survivors, it's not that our experience is the exact same at all because we all recover differently. Our situations are different. Our families are different, but there is a real beauty, isn't there, to looking somebody in the eyes who has survived the same thing you have, and there's just an unspoken feeling of they get it. And I find when I talk to other TBI survivors about the moment-to-moment celebrations, They get it when I say, oh, my goodness, I don't even remember learning to walk again. But that little moment of obviously learning to walk again is a big deal. So if we don't celebrate those little things, then we're not going to be able to celebrate the big things. And unless you've survived something like this, as you have, as I have, um, it's hard to explain it to somebody else.
1: Yes, that's a really good point. And it's it's something... I look out to to communicate to survivors of brain injury and survivors of any trauma in mm-hmm. their life. Mm-hmm. And others can implement these words of wisdom into their life without, it, you know, it, it can be challenging, but the words of wisdom is that to really focus on celebrating little wins. Because right now, everyone in the world is experiencing COVID and it has a lot of similarities with a brain injury it was unexpected we didn't plan on this happening we lost control we feel overwhelmed we feel like we can't do the things that we were planning on doing so take making sure during this whole process you celebrate your little wins maybe your life in a lot of industries your job your career it, it all ch- changed and so Take the moment and celebrate every little step that you are taking.
0: 100%. It, it's exactly what you just said. There's this whole uncertainty, isn't there? The pandemic has caused such, um, that's the word that I feel like has kept coming up. And that's exactly how it was after I hit my head. that it, I mean, everything was uncertain. Everything, right? My entire life. What it looked like to be a mom now, what it looked like to be a wife, what it looked like to be a human being walking through, you know, but the uncertainty and I've related it often actually to this pandemic as well, just because, you know, every day has been different. And that's how I live my life anyways, one day at a time. Um, But the uncertainty has has been the theme kind of and the underlying uncomfortable part of, of the pandemic.
1: Yes and when you were uncertain and feeling scared and confused what led you to start to climb an alternative peak to start seeing the opportunities in your life
0: Well it's interesting Jamie because I think obviously you can relate so for listeners or people who who maybe don't understand the difference kind of between the TBI and let's say in a concussion is that I have I have no memory so I have no memory of the year prior to my accident, and I have no memory at all to the year after. So I, I'm completely missing two years, and so I'm relying on others who were around me at the time, or or journals or whatnot to kind of let me know how I reacted to that. Um, I tend to be an incredibly optimistic person, in any, anyways, uh, and hope has always been something that has very much been a part of my fiber and my being growing up. Um, And so I know for me um, in those dark days, I can only imagine that I needed to cling to what I knew to be true about who I was still, you know, even if I had lost so much of who I was at the time, like I couldn't remember barely my kids. I could barely remember my husband I could barely um, you know, remember the next five minutes or the last five minutes or the date on the calendar. And so I think what I had to do was really write down who I knew to the core of my being, who I was. And that was, I was a kind person. I'm a hopeful person. I'm a lover of life. You know, like really write down the true things I knew myself to be and what I still wanted to be moving forward. And I talk a lot about when I when I speak of my journey, I talk a lot about how I finally three years later had to come to a point where I had to allow her. And I refer to my previous self before my accident as her. um, But I came to a very, uh, a very defining moment where I knew I had to go back to the mountain where I fell and I had to let her go. Because as long as I was trying to still be her, I felt like a failure. I felt um, like I wasn't enough. I felt like I was constantly beating myself up because my brain didn't work the same. But the the challenging part about a TBI is your body looks fine, and people look at you like you're fine. Oh, Julie's fine. Oh, you know, everybody still expected me. Once I left the hospital, in my recovery—it's like nothing happened. But for me, I had. I had basically died inside. And once I could actually acknowledge that, oh wait a minute, if I continue to try to be her, I, I'm gonna go through life feeling like pretty crappy. So what about her did I like? And what about her? Do I just need to let go? And so I did, Jamie. I went back to the mountain three years later and I talked up I say I talk about it as my day of reckoning. and I reckoned with her, And I let her go and I reckoned with the mountain and I realized I still really want to snowboard. And I left that mountain so much lighter that day because I finally released all of the things I was trying to be that I could no longer be.
1: Wow. And I can relate to that so much. That was a moving, moving story. And for me, when I I said I love Whistler because that was where my accident was, And I was invited back one year later for my first one-year reunion. And when I went back, I, before that time, did not recognize how serious my accident had been. Right. My mom would say things like how lucky I was to be alive and things like that. And I thought it was just my mom (laughs) being a mom. (laughs) And people would ask me, like, Was it a medically induced coma? And I'd say, yeah, it wasn't that bad. Yeah, that wasn't true. It was a natural (laughs) coma. And it was really bad. They wrote up my fatality report. And so it was really critical. Exactly. But I refused to believe that. And I think part of that, in a way, actually kind of helped me because I starting out, even when I was in the hospital, I would tell people, my nurse would say, do you know where you are? Because that's one of the things they need to ask you before they let you go, is you need to be able to retain where you are. Yeah. And I would tell them I'm in a movie about a hospital. And Mm. they would say, why do you think that? And I would say, well, because old people and sick people go to a hospital. So I'm not old or sick. So obviously can't be and then also i have a hammock in my room i have pictures all over my wall and when you poke me with the needles it doesn't hurt wow. now you might know i was not nearly this clear it was very <laughs> jumbled words that were coming out of my mouth yeah but i would tell people i'd be like see i can prove it to you when you poke me with the needles it doesn't even hurt yeah and they would be a little confused and and how are we going to tell our patient when we poke her with the needles it doesn't hurt because she's paralyzed. Exactly. I'm not really sure how to do that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. She thinks she's in a so, movie. Yeah.
1: And um I I realized after I left that I was not in an actual movie. No. And I began to realize I had the accident but it wasn't until I went back for my one year anniversary and I went to Vancouver General Hospital and I met my doctor and he was crying. And I realized how big this was. And like you, that I could have a platform to share that you can build a life you love after trauma. And it might be different. And honestly, it probably will be different in different ways. No story is exactly the same. But you can get over it, Mm -hmm. which is what it sounds like you did with writing in the journals and saying okay these are what I l- like about myself and I remember about myself and this is the person I want to go back
0: to being yes exactly I mean because I think we do ourselves a great disservice even without brain injuries you know we compare ourselves to others constantly and it's that's not healthy um to do and we forget I think often who we are to the five or of our being, and then when you hit your head, you literally physically forget. Like it's not even just like a, a metaphorical term that oh, I've just forgotten who I am. No, you literally have forgotten who you are. Right? You've you've literally forgotten that you've, you're marri- married with um, three children. At that time, I had three children under the age of three, um, and I was I I was a stay at home mom, and I loved it, Jamie. Like I I my identity was was being a good mom and an active mom. And I'm on the mountain and I'm, you know, and so when that's all gone and I wasn't even allowed to be with my children alone when they released me from, um, from the hospital, I I wasn't even allowed to, to be in the house with them alone. Um, I wasn't allowed to take care of them by myself. I wasn't allowed to drive. I was still at GF strong on an outpatient, um, rehab basis. And so that whole identity was stripped. It was gone. Um, And then on top of that, you know, I couldn't remember in 15 minute increments, I couldn't, I always prided myself on remember people's names, I couldn't remember people I just met, you know, so it is literally you, you have had to, it's a rebirth, and you have two choices. And I know that not saying it's easy. I'm not saying that, you know, oh, look at me, I chose, I chose to move forward in hope. Well, I did choose that, but that doesn't mean that was easy. But my alternative was what? Well, my alternative was to succumb and jump off a bridge. You know what I mean? So when I realized I still want to be a mom to these kids, I don't know what that's going to look like. Um, but I, I, I still want to be that fun, vibrant, mountain-loving mama. Now, this is going to look a lot different because I need help doing it. And I prided myself. And I know women are <laughs> notoriously bad for not wanting help. But I really prided myself on not needing help when I was a mom. And for the first time in my life, I I actually needed people to come in and make meals for me. And I need people to come in and wean my son that was still breastfeeding. And I needed people to come in and basically like like take care of me. And that's really humbling. I mean, that there's another level of humility that happens when you know, you were a, a, a competitive athlete, you're like, what that takes to be at the level you were at is, is monumental. And now you have to have people take care of you. I mean, it, for people to understand what that feels like, it's a very dark and lonely time. But then our choice is what to sit in that? Well, my choice was not, I did not want to sit in that any longer. And so three years later, I was like, okay, I'm done with this girl. I need this monkey off my back. I need that old Julie to get, get off. So the new Julie can move forward.
1: Old Julie, get off. So new Julie can move forward. Love that. And yes, for me in the hospital, I would have pictures of my friends and I didn't know who any of them were. And so I would listen to stories about my friends and I only know this from a story, but, but I would talk to my mom and I would say, wow, Jamie has the best friends. And she was like, honey, you are Jamie, (laughs) so they're your friends. And I was like, whoa, they're my friends. They seem really awesome. (laughs) They seem so cool. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, and when we, and we do, we compare ourselves, and especially with social media and it always changing, but you're comparing yourself to someone and you're just seeing the highlight of their, their life and you're comparing yourself and feeling like you should be the highlight all the time. And the truth is nobody is highlight all the time. Everyone has peaks and valleys and everyone has days when they just wake up on the wrong side of the bed. And so instead of feeling like, bad and diminishing yourself if you wake up on the wrong side of the day maybe that means honestly whether you've had a brain injury or not if you're having a bad day maybe it means go walk your dog and go skiing and clear your mind and get out of that bad day because that does happen to everybody we get into funks, Mm -hmm. and the other thing you mentioned was support Mm-hmm. And it was really challenging for you at the time because you were a mom and you had three kids. And so you felt like you should be the leader
0: yeah, in exactly. their
1: life. And yeah. something that was interesting for me is I was a young 22-year-old. And so I still had my mom – like my mom being a mom, taking care of me as a mom was comfortable for me because I was uh, I was still young enough that that happened. But what was interesting was my little sister, Jeannie, is four years younger than me. She was at World Tour Finals. She was supposed to compete in Half Pipe. She was ecstatic. It was her first World Tour Finals she made it to. And in the blink of an eye, she became my caregiver. And I had always been the leader in our relationship. I was Mm -hmm. always the older sister. I always would make the dinners and always know what to do. And then all of a sudden, she had to know what to do for me. And she had to go to the hospital with me every day when I was living in the hospital, go to outpatient therapy with me all the time. And that was the most challenging part was our relationship. And then the next thing is after you get past those first stages where you need lots of help and support, Mm -hmm. then She had to let me become independent again and we still become friends. And Mm -hmm. so how was that in your situation with your kids and your husband regaining a a different level of independence?
0: Well, I think, um, you know, once I could wrap my head around having to have the help because I couldn't I wasn't allowed to be there without the help. So it wasn't even an option so the doctors only allowed me. So we had to hire help. We had to hire somebody to come in and take care of the kids and me, basically, on a daily basis. And my husband, he was an incredible support. Well, he really had to focus on the kids while I was in the hospital. And I was in the hospital for for six weeks, inpatient, and then discharged outpatient. Um, his actual, his brother flew out. His younger brother actually kind of flew out and became our. We call him our Manny. And he helped take care of of the kids. Um, And I, again, Jamie, it's hard because I can't remember what that felt like other than what has been told to me by friends. But um, that was a really dark and difficult time for me because, again, like like you, you shifted from having to be the older, strong sister to being taken care of by your little sister. And all of a sudden I was shifting from being the, the strong, independent mother to basically a toddler, my own self, mm-hmm. um, and and at that, that felt, it, it, it felt degra- it did feel degrading. It's a horrible thing to say because you're so thankful to be alive. And people, they mean well, they really do, but so many people will say, "But, uh, but, Julie, don't feel that way because you're alive." Oh yeah, no, I, I'm very. I acknowledge all the time. I'm so grateful to be alive. But that doesn't mean I don't grieve what I was before so people want you to be okay which of course they do they love you but by saying you know it's okay it's okay Julie it's okay just but you're alive it it just takes away from that process that we have that we need to grieve well I am alive yes technically my heart is beating my brain is where my brain is functioning and all my organs are like my blood is pumping but what does alive mean? What does alive mean to to me now? If I can't go into the mountains with my kids, if I can't even be with my kids, and I'm talking early days, right? I didn't know at that point what what was my future going to look like because all I could do was was go 15 minutes at a time, um, and I actually lost quite a few friends. Um, they couldn't actually handle it, which. I don't have blame or judgment on anybody. It was a really difficult time. And when that old Julie left, they they were left with the new Julie. So if they didn't like the new Julie or that didn't fit them, then they were gone. So I had some incredible support people. I had some incredible friends that showed up every day, Jamie. I had friends that were weaning my baby, taking my kids to preschool, bringing meals, Those people were such an integral part of my recovery because I was at that point, I don't even remember how old I was, but my mom didn't live in this province. So my mom didn't come to take care of us, but my incredible friends and my brother-in-law, they showed up and they came every day. And my husband showed up. He, he's a, he's a, he was raised with four boys. So three brothers and him. And, The one story that my friends love to tell is, I guess it was my oldest daughter journey. It was her preschool photo day. And she asked my husband to braid her hair. And he did. He did a beautiful job. And I think the teachers were just so impressed that she came in her cute little dress with her hair braided. And he had to carry on the normalcy for those babies, along with the fear that "What what will my life look like with this woman who barely even knows our family, you know? There was a lot of guilt for me. I know that I struggled with a lot of guilt um, because I did choose that day of my accident to not wear a helmet. I made that choice. So I had to also come to terms with, was this avoidable? When the doctor first talked to my husband, he, he did say, obvious a helmet would have helped her, but she hit her head so hard, she probably would have still had fallout. But I chose that day. So then I had to also come to terms with, okay, it is, it happened and I can't just keep sitting in this guilt because I did feel a great amount of guilt about that.
1: Mm. Yeah. And in in my situation, I actually was competing in a competition and now Mm. on the world tour, at all competitions it's mandatory for the athletes to wear helmets. Yes. So I had a helmet on Mm -hmm. and if I did not, (laughs) I would not have lived. No point blank. No. Um, but that is one of the things um, that I feel, because I'm, I'm a helmet advocate now, and it doesn't, it doesn't solve all accidents. Like if you put your seatbelt in the car, you can still get in an accident and get hurt or die. If you put on a helmet, you can still get in an accident and get hurt or die. Exactly. Um, but I, I do think it does help, which is why, for me, something that fires me up is a lot of the professional athletes – um, even ones I associate with as friends will wear a helmet in competition and then go out and film a segment without a helmet on. Yes. And all the kids that are looking up and idolizing these pros, see them without a helmet and go, oh, okay, that's fine. And then there's more accidents that could have been prevented if people
0: thought differently 100 percent. well my 16 year old he's a competitive snowboarder here in whistler and it's interesting because lots of people will say how can you let him do that after what happened to you like how how i don't like try and explain this to me julie well one kind of what you were saying earlier jamie is that i don't remember so that's what i kind of consider a gift in a sense i probably wouldn't have stepped on a snowboard again i probably wouldn't I probably live in way more fear. If I remembered all that went down in that two years, I probably would have way more fear. Now I say the gift of not remembering is I don't remember that part. So I still love to get on my snowboard and I'm careful and I wear a helmet. You know, my son, he, he snowboards all over the world and he wears his helmet and he, he, you know, it brings him so much joy, and there's risk to everything. But he, even in himself, at 16, is a helmet advocate. You know, he's he's good friends with with Cody, who you know very well. Um, and it's just these younger people saying, "When did we ever think that cool or not cool? Like, wh- where did this come into play about helmets? It's cool to be alive, <laughs> right? That that's cool.
1: Yeah." And Cody and I are actually—we're we both in a movie put out by High Fives Foundation called "Helmets Are Cool," which mm-hmm. is that that concept that, like, you know what? Just put the bucket on your head if it can help prevent things because we're getting all so wild and crazy and doing so much. Exactly. Yeah. So I was gonna say I would just keep talking for to you forever. I might, I might have <laughs> you come back another time. Please, I love it. Yeah, I try to keep the episodes fairly short so, you know, you can listen to them on like a a drive or walking the dog or Mm -hmm. something. Keep it light and airy. Um, So we're reaching the end of the episode. So if people want to get in contact with you um, and talk a little bit more, if they're like brain injury survivors and they want somebody who they feel comfortable talking to, Mm -hmm. how
0: would they do that? Um, you know, I would say, please do actually, please reach out. This is something I'm really, really passionate about. I really believe in, in multiple facets of my life, there's been multiple different forms of trauma, but the whole concept of just that you're not alone, um, is the most important to me. And I know that's why you do that, what you do, Jamie. Um, so I, I mean, I'm on Instagram and they can direct message me and then we can go from there either, um emailing or or phone calling or whatever but my instagram is just at julie kennedy smith um and again too uh, uh, they can feel free to email me at my emails julie i just forgot my email (laughs) julie at julie kennedy smith.com but please feel free to reach out whether you're uh you know a survivor of a tbi whether you're a support Uh, person of of a person with a TBI, please, please reach out because I really believe that um, there is so much power in, in, um, in just knowing you're not alone. And you aren't. You aren't alone. You feel alone, but you aren't. So please reach out and thank you, Jamie, for having me here.